Live from Naples, this is The Morning Break with Jane Ritter. Morning, everyone. Lovely to be back at Teachers Talk Radio. Today is International Women's Day. How are you celebrating or are you not celebrating? Please feel free to join and let us know in the comments. Live from Naples, this is The Morning Break with Jay Ritter on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Okay, so good morning. This morning, as I said, is International Women's Day and um, I've just been on on um, LinkedIn and seen some really unusual comments. So I assume the trolls are out. Um, as a woman, as a, a woman who works, um, I really don't think that nasty comments on on social media are going to help our cause in any way. Um, let's just try and stay positive and stick together. Um, obviously, my guest this morning isn't a woman, it's a man, um, a colleague from Italy. It's always nice to have, um, hopefully, help you learn a bit more about what happens here. Um, I'll be talking to Richard Twig, and Richard has been a teacher uh, director of studies. Um, he's a teacher trainer. He's, he also managed an IELTS test center. Um, he has a wealth of experience. Um, he He's mainly taught in the UK, Malta and Italy, um, but obviously started um, his, his career in South Africa. Um, I won't say any more because he's going to tell you all about it. Um, Let's welcome Richard. And good morning, Richard. How are you today? Lovely to have Hi. you. Hi, good morning. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I'm doing well, thanks, and yourself? Well, um, tell, tell me, where are you based exactly? Um, I'm uh, based in Colegno, uh, which is a suburb just outside of Turin in the north of Italy. And what's the weather like at the moment? Uh, quite sunny, actually. It's been a little bit hit and miss, but uh, computers telling it's 12 degrees, so it feels quite oh, comfortable. Okay. It's pretty cold down here in Naples, but then um, uh, winter's always shorter here, I think, for us. Okay, okay. yeah, yeah, no, it, it, it tends to fluctuate quite a bit up here. So uh... Now, Richard, you've had quite an interesting teaching journey or teaching and training journey. Could you just tell our listeners a little bit about you and where you've been, what you've done. Okay, well, yeah, some people call it a bit of a checkered history. Um, you can probably tell from my accent that uh, I was not born in the UK. Um, so I actually started my teaching career in South Africa um, as part of my military service. Um, I was a, an officer instructor um, and we had to prepare lessons sitting on our beds. And I trained um, other recruits 
to become officers after myself. So that was my first dabble in teaching. <clears throat> um, and then <laughs> I uh, went to um, the University of Huddersfield where I did my certificate in further education, um, which is equivalent of a PGCE, but because I don't have a degree, I did the mm -hmm. Cert Ed. Um, and then I went to your college, was teaching um, post compulsory education, post 16 education. Then in 2005, uh, my wife and I decided we were tired of the cold weather in the north of England and we moved to Malta. Um, and having a look around, I said, okay, well, I need to train as an English language teacher because <clears throat> Malta, that's one of the big things in Malta. So I trained, I did my CELTA. And then basically from then, I haven't really looked back. I did my FTBE uh, business English course when I arrived in Malta. Um, exactly two years after doing the CELTA, a very foolish decision, but I did it. I did my Delta. I managed to pass. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that to anybody, two not years. even to my worst enemy. Exactly two years. That's quite, I mean, they kind of recommend three or... Um... Yeah, I would recommend people to have five years because you need the experience. I was uh, struggling for experience. I did manage to get a distinction in my extended assignment, wow. uh, but uh, I passed the other two, um, but it was hard work. Uh, but my goal was to become a director of studies and in Malta, that was a requirement to, uh, to have the Delta. Mm -hmm. um, and then I uh, carried on teaching. I was director of studies, moved to Italy, um and then i started to get into uh language coaching so i've kind of still still teaching but trying to do a bit of language coaching as well so um, that's wow. my kind of checkered checkered worked, teaching history you worked in milan for quite a long time but uh you're based in interim did you commute or i commuted every day wow. uh two hours each way <gasps> monday monday to friday for six years oh my goodness and what do you do on a train for four hours a day? Well, um, the, the whole journey was uh, two hours from door to door. So luckily there was a high speed train. Um, I created, we had a, a group of about six or seven of us who all met up on the, uh, <laughs> the platform in Turin. I can we, had a good, <laughs> we, we, we had a good chat. I managed to use my broken Italian. Um, <laughs> Or from all different sectors these people were mm -hmm. and then we'd meet up in the evening um, and because we were regular travelers we got the french rossa card mm -hmm. um, and in milan they offered a free aperitivo so we used to pop into the uh, the french <laughs> lounge and have our aperitivo before we jumped on the train said <laughs> goodbye at eight o'clock or whatever it was went home um, and it made the journey a little bit more enjoyable um, a lot of the time in the morning, I used to nod off. Um, um, in the evening, sometimes I would uh, catch up with emails and do a bit of work. But um, it's only afterwards that you realize just how tiring it was when you've done it for mm. six years. It's quite a... Yeah, yeah. I think, um, yeah, I, um, commuting is something that I, I, I haven't had the fortune of doing. I'm kind of lucky living in a very, it's a very compact city. Um, okay. you know, I can get up and down on a funicular quite quickly Fantastic. Uh, yeah it was a baptism of fire because i i'd lived in malta before and my my morning commute was seven minutes so mm. from seven minutes to two hours it was a bit of <laughs> in the beginning it 
It did take me a That's bit a, of time to adjust. That could be a new a new radio program. <laughs> to commute or not to, com or to not commute? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. And what is a reasonable commute, and what is seen as being right. ridiculous? <laughs> Getting back to teaching, Richard. What are your top five teaching tools? Um, quite difficult, really. To if I have to think of my main teaching tools, I would say. Probably now, as a result of COVID and the situation, I'd have to say probably Zoom because I do so many lessons online. Um, secondly, I'd probably say my students. Uh, I like to see my students as a resource and to mm. get information and get stuff from them. Um, I probably then tap into my experience, uh, my empathy with my students, and to a certain extent, uh, it might sound a bit cheesy but uh, my humor i like to sort of play around with humor a little bit i would say those are my kind of my main my tool bag that's your tool bag yeah. that's your, yeah. that's your top yeah. five that's quite um that's quite cool i um you know it, it's a an intro when you ask people this question some of it can be very very structured but yours is yeah. very human um yeah. i like it very much so vr um yeah our listeners who are not sure what it is um what is vr okay so <clears throat> probably in a nutshell vr stands for virtual reality mm. um and it's probably best known or came to light as a result of mark zuckerberg renaming uh, facebook or the company the holding company of facebook to meta um to envisage this idea of um the metaverse which he was hoping was going to be an alternative universe that people are going to live in um but for me i see um vr for those people that possibly saw them didn't see them if you can remember the google cardboard where you had these little foldable things and you could slide your mobile phone in um possibly even going further back to the old kaleidoscope where you used to look in as a child and used to see these pictures. The, the yeah. key thing is it's kind of, it's that not necessarily on steroids, but it's an extension of that uh, where you put on the goggles and you can be completely immersed in a different world. So you are literally in another reality um, and the reality is obviously not real. So hence virtual reality. Mm -hmm. um, and you basically interact with avatars. So you are not a, obviously a real person. You don't appear as yourself. You appear as, a, as an avatar is what they call it, the characters or the people. So we're going to get on to how you use it in the classroom, but what, what prompted your interest in VR in the classroom? How did you um, begin? How I I kind of I kind of stumbled across it. I've always been <clears throat> interested in technology um, in different forms, um, probably from as a child. I'm not a computer gamer. I don't own a computer console. I never have. Um, I was terrible. I couldn't even play Pac-Man. That's how bad I was <laughs> at computer games. Come on. Uh, Pac-Man. No, no, I, I failed the Pac-Man. That was that was my kind of my brother made me wear that badge with pride. Um and and so from that point of view, I was always interested in dabbling with technology. And I'd done a couple of 
presentations or looked into using technology in the classroom. Um, and then I, I stumbled across it through um, a gentleman who might be well known to people, Jonathan Dykes, um, who was at that time um, part of International House. Um, and he'd come over and he'd done the inspection in Milan and he started talking um, about a project that he was working on um, called Virtual Reality for Language Learners. Um, and when I heard about it, it just sparked an interest and I looked into it and I said, hey, this is something that was, that was quite cool. So it was just literally by chance that I stumbled across. It was not something that I'd gone looking for. But how can teachers integrate VR in the classroom? Well, I think the first thing to say is that like any technology, uh, virtual reality is not there to replace mm -hmm. um it's not there to be an alternative classroom this is my opinion obviously mm -hmm. um it's there to enhance the teaching just in the same way that we use a course book or we use a video on youtube or we get the students to use a mobile phone or a tablet um and one of the key things with vr that is different for me from uh, using a computer, a tablet, or what have you, is that the students can actually be 100% immersed in that world or in that environment. Mm. Um, so they could, for example, be studying something in geography or in their language book, and they're talking about countries, and maybe it's Sydney, um, and there's a Sydney Opera House. You can actually transport them, and they could be standing outside the Sydney Opera House. Wow. And looking up at it, and the key thing is they actually feel as if they're there, mm. but they haven't left the classroom. But they're not looking at it from a computer screen and seeing all their friends and having the distractions. They physically, wherever they look, up, down, left, right, they are in front of the Sydney Opera House. And that, for me, is what makes it so exciting. You must need a lot of technology to, to get that. I mean, what kind of things do, do you need for the classroom? No, fortunately, it's actually relatively simple. Um, considering what you can do with it, mm. the main piece of technology is what they call the, the VR headset, mm. the goggles. Um, and obviously, as uh, Mark Zuckerberg spent, I, I won't go into the numbers, but he spent a lot of money some years ago buying the company that made the VR technology called Oculus. Mm -hmm. And he bought that well before he renamed the company. Right. Um, and in the beginning, they were sold as an Oculus Quest. It was an Oculus Rift, and they had the Oculus Quest, and now they have the Quest 2. But since, I think, last year, he renamed all of the equipment, and it's now called MetaQuest. Um, but the standard headset costs, I think, it now retails for... 499 euros but i heard recently that the price is due to come down again they've just mm -hmm. put it up by 100 euros but i think facebook has realized or meta's realized its sales i mean there are 20 million they've sold 20 million headsets um uh, so there's a fair few people out there um people probably have heard about the meta quest pro but that retails for 1600 euros and that's for that's for serious gamers that's mixed reality so the classroom one is literally a headset let's call it 500 euros for argument's sake mm -hmm. um and with that you get your hand controllers 
Um, and after that, you don't need anything. Um, you, you have your one headset for the classroom. You need a whiteboard, interactive whiteboard, data projector screen so that the students can see and share the experience. Um, you don't need cables. You just need a Wi-Fi connection. Um, and the way that I see VR is that you should just have one, possibly two students wearing the headset. So you're not trying to put the whole class in and then losing classroom management and who's going where and doing what and having great communication. So, you know, one headset, 500 euros, and most of the apps you can get for free. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, the games cost a lot of money, but for education, we're only interested in the apps and most of those apps you can, you can get for free. Mm -hmm. Uh, what do you see as the benefits or the pitfalls? I know, I mean, obviously, in terms of being able to be somewhere, that's definitely a benefit. Are there other benefits? Yeah, I would say the the, the major benefit is the immersion, mm -hmm. um, the opportunity that the students can interact with the world, so they can pick things up, they can move around. Um, at the moment, um, <clears throat> it's still, I would say, a little bit in its infancy, but with virtual reality in general. Um, they do have the feeling of touch. So you can put what they call haptic gloves on. You can put a haptic vest on so you can actually feel if you're doing paintballing, you can feel as if you've been shot. Um, they have haptic shoes, but those are kind of for gamers, education. But I think later on that will start to come. Um, and it's the fact that you, you do really feel I've, I've had the experience with teachers that I've trained who sort of said, wow, I felt like I was there. And that for me sums it up. That it's that kind of, it's feeling completely immersed and, and having that, that sense that you are in another place and brings things to life. Incredible. Pitfalls, um, I suppose like anything, uh, it could be seen as another mod con for some mm -hmm. people, another piece of technology. Mm -hmm. um, it could also... Um, some people are a little bit worried about motion sickness. Oh, uh, of that. but the key thing there is it's, there's two different things. There's three degrees of freedom and six degrees of freedom. And in a nutshell, if you've got three degrees, if I walk towards my computer screen, my computer screen moves away from me. Mm -hmm. And that makes, that confuses the brain because you say, hold on, but I should be getting closer not maintaining the distance. So if I'm walking and things are moving away, that sometimes starts to confuse the brain. Right. And that's when you start to get motion sickness. But if you have six degrees of freedom where you can look up, look down, look left, look right, move closer to things and literally bump into, but you can't bump into them, you just walk through them, then you, you, you avoid the motion sickness. But it's also possible to do it seated. So if people prefer sitting, yeah. it is possible to still have, but it's not quite the same experience. Incredible. I mean, would this, sorry, I'm focusing on the motion sickness now, but would that happen to people who who would normally suffer from that or is it just a feeling of? of no, I would say it's only those people that I've asked um, if they are kind of susceptible mm -hmm. to, to, to motion sickness. I normally say to them just to be aware. So I ask them as a precaution, yeah. but I haven't actually had anybody, even people that suffer from motion sickness, so far, nobody's told me that they felt sick. Yeah. Um, what I do try to do is I do try to limit the amount of time. So I normally say I've never gone that far, but 20 minutes would be the maximum at any one time that I would 
encourage someone to be exposed wearing a headset. Mm -hmm. Is it easy to set up a, a VR classroom? Yeah, it's 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 pretty straightforward. I mean, I would say the once the headset is set up, like setting up your mobile phone, you've got your apps and you've got everything you need. Once you have the Wi-Fi link, um, there's a, a simple action there. You, they call it casting, and you are displaying to the classroom what you can see in the headset. So obviously, they can only see it in two D. Mm but at least they get to see what you're doing, where you're going, and they can kind of be part of the experience and you could describe things to them, or they could ask you to look left, look right, or what's that on the floor, or turn around so we can all see what you're looking at. So it's quite, it's quite fun from that point of view. You've given us a couple of suggestions how to use it in, in the classroom. It's also, I can see quite a lot of emerging language seems to come from it. <laughs> I mean, when you plan your lessons, could you just, I know you talked to um, visiting the Sydney Opera House and, and yeah. could you just talk us through like a simple VR lesson plan? What? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've done, um, one was I, uh, I used it with a group of, of 10 year olds. So in uh, um, middle, in, in elementary school. Mm -hmm. um, and I asked them either where they came from where they would like to go to and i got them to put the goggles on and then to describe what they saw a tree a traffic light a car a building um and then the other people in the class had to sort of try and identify so they're very low level it was just literally using those kind of things um the more structured lesson would be the ones from um, vr for language learners or vr number four ll and there you have four worlds and each world has two activities and the activities are planned out as a complete lesson. Mm. So if we take one, for example, um, the students are told that there's a problem with the uh, transmission equipment on the, space, on the space station. And you need to go to the space station and carry out the repair. But there's a caveat, the problem is that it involves a spacewalk. You need to go outside the spacecraft and carry out the repair outside. So it comes complete with lesson plans, but basically in a nutshell, what you do is student would get into an aircraft, press a button to choose the world that they want to go to, and they'd end up in the space station. They've got a number of doors. They could either be assisted by the class because the class could have notes telling them what to do, or they could be left if they're a higher level, basically figure it out and work out what you need to do and what you need to gather and talk to each other and problem solve. But basically they need to find a backpack. They put on the backpack because obviously they need their hands free. Mm -hmm. Then they're going to find uh, three tools, pliers, screwdriver, and a spanner. Obviously, you know, you're probably never going to use a spanner in space, but general sort of tools that they could use. And three, three different colored circuit boards. Then they find a code, a six-digit code. Once they've got their backpack and they've memorized the code or they've got the class to memorize the code, they can put on their helmet, which means that they're now don their spacesuit. Right. And when they breathe, it sounds like they're breathing like Darth Vader. <laughs> and they can open the door they can leave the spacecraft so they can now actually see space and walk on this glass walkway 
and they go to this um they can see the earth down below and there's this communications antenna they put in the number they remove the screws take off the plate take out the uh, circuit board put in the new one close it up and then go back inside and they press a button and it tells them they've been successful and obviously that's very in a, in a nutshell there's all sorts of options and ways that you could make it more difficult enhance communication um and and there when i've done it you've got at least um 20 30 minutes of activity and then the key thing is is what you do after that yeah because now the kids have sort of been to space and you could ask them to talk about space travel astronauts daily life of an astronaut you can have a discussion on with higher level classes using it but at least now they've they've felt a little bit of space and they feel that they've got something to talk about they've kind of experienced it in a different way than just watching a video or mm. um and, and you know things they could they could have somebody writing a doing a radio interview <laughs> whilst they're doing the actions they could have somebody writing a blog they could you write up suggest, a summary we did that for the radio show wow, wow that, that could be the next one <laughs> so uh, i could i could be exploring and you could be describing what's happening <laughs> this sounds incredible i mean obviously for, for learners it must be really motivating yeah i mean i would say that from all the learners that I've done it with, the feedback has been pretty amazing. I mean, I, I, I'll be honest, I, I tried it with one group and we, we spent an hour and a half, which was obviously far too long. And I used different activities and a couple of people, it got boring. Hmm. Um, but that was because of a limited time period. But generally speaking, 99% was amazing, incredible, fantastic. So real life, different, um, and I, and for me, that was just kind of, that just gets the motivation of the students. And if you're getting that kind of feedback, how memorable mm. the words, the vocabulary, the language, and you could put in so much stuff or get the students to out in that environment. They're kind of like sponges then. Yes. In terms of support, um, do you find that you need to give them more or less support? I would say most of the time with the kids, because they are quite adept at using, I think the basic thing is just to explain to them if they haven't used them before, the basic functions, how you move, how you pick things up, but they pick up those kind of things quite quickly. Mm. Um, I would dare to say it's normally the teachers that need the most support because for some teachers it is a leap into the unknown. It's technology that maybe they haven't experienced. Um, but I take myself as an example. I'm not a computer gamer, as I said. Mm. I've never played computer games, and I picked it up really easily. So I normally sort of say, you know, if I can do it, there's teachers out there that have gamed and, and maybe not big gamers, but they've played computer games, so they are a step ahead, and it's not that different. Um, I'm going to pause you there because I, I do want to touch, come back to the idea of teacher support and and how we can help them. But we have a um, just a brief news break, okay? Um, and we'll be right back after that. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides, and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. 
Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The BBC has relaunched the 500 Words Writing Competition. The competition was first launched on Radio 2 in 2011 by its then Breakfast Show presenter, Chris Evans. The UK-wide contest continued until 2020 with Evans' successor, Zoe Ball. It will return in September and will again be backed by Queen Consort Camilla. It'll also be supported by Sir Lenny Henry. The announcement was made on Thursday the 1st of March, World Book Day, on BBC One's Breakfast News programme. BBC Breakfast presenter John Kay said, We are delighted to be championing 500 words and look forward to stellar entries from talented, aspiring young writers. Up until 2020, the competition had received more than one million stories, all written by children and adding up to more than 440 million words. Judges on this year's panel will include teachers and librarians, as well as best-selling authors, which will include former children's laureate Mallory Blackman and Charlie Higson, author of five of the Young Bond novels. The grand final will feature 50 of the best entries from two different age categories, and it will take place on World Book Day 2024. WhatsApp messages by government ministers and civil servants during the height of the pandemic have been causing a stir in many circles since The Telegraph published its series of stories giving insight into a usually private world. Several teaching unions hit out at what was described as contemptible comments made in the WhatsApps by former Education Secretary Sir Gavin Williamson. In the messages, Williamson appeared to suggest that staff were looking for an excuse not to work during the pandemic. There were also commented by former Health Secretary Matt Hancock, who referred to teaching unions as a bunch of absolute arses. Sir Gavin was seen to reply, they really, really do just hate work. In a perhaps ill-advised series of tweets this week, Sir Gavin Williamson attempted first an apology, saying the comments were aimed at some unions and that he had the utmost respect for teachers. But many of those replying pointed out that unions are made up of teachers and that cannot be separated. They and union leaders went on to point out that teachers worked throughout the pandemic. National Education Union Joint General Secretary Mary Bowstead went on to say that she hoped that the present Education Secretary Gillian Keegan did not share the contemptuous attitude whilst the current pay dispute continues. Whilst the pay disputes continue in England, they are possibly just getting started in the Channel Island of Guernsey. NASUWT leaders on the island say that local members have voted overwhelmingly in favour of industrial action over pay and workload. According to a report in Guernsey Press, strike action was backed by 9 out of 10 voters who took part in the ballot. 57% of members voted. Teachers in Guernsey have been offered a three-year deal with a 5% increase in 2022, a 7% increase in 2023 and an increase of 1% below inflation in 2024. Meanwhile, in Scotland, the EIS union has suspended all planned strike action after a new pay deal was offered. The 12.3% increase on the current pay rate has been welcomed by EIS leaders, 
who was said to be recommending its members accept the offer. The union will ballot its members on the deal, which would see teacher pay rise by £5,200 in April. Scotland's Education Secretary has welcomed the suspensions of strike action, but the NESUWT's General Secretary, Dr Patrick Roach, said the offer was paltry, and whilst it would ballot members, its campaign of strike action and action short of strikes would continue. Finally, while strike action causes disruption in schools, the Eastern Daily Press reports that some families have opted for family days out to local tourist attractions. Many of the attractions have created special offers and promotions to make the most of possible extra visitors on planned strike days. Banham Zoo and Africa Alive offered free entry for up to three children per paying adult. A spokesperson for the attraction said they hoped to provide an educational experience for children to learn about the planet and the environment. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week we're going to talk about tech for well-being. We all have tech all around us, but what do you do to strike a work-life balance when technology makes you available 24-7? During the pandemic, parents having the ability to directly message or email teachers increased, and for good reason. The issue now is some schools have continued to maintain this communication. Here are a couple of ideas to let tech make your communication a little easier. First, you need to read your school's policy on replying to messages. This will outline what you're expected to do. A lot of systems have an auto response or an out of office reply. When you're taking a break, switching this on can send an automated message to let people know you will respond in a timely manner. Here is where you could quote the school's policy. Do not disturb is another setting you could use to stop devices notifying you between set times that you decide. You can also set this so certain people like family and friends can still alert you. Delayed response is a setting in a lot of email applications to create emails at unsociable times, you can set them to send at specific times, allowing you to work when you like, but not go against any timing set out in school policy. Why not tell us what you do with tech for your well-being at TT Radio Official? I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. And welcome back. Um, lovely to have you back with me. Um, as we, as we, we were just talking about teacher support, um, the students seem to, yeah, obviously navigate often better than us. Mm. Um, what kind? Of, I know you do a lot of teacher training, and you've you've actually trained teachers to use VR. I have, yeah. What kind yeah. of support do they need? I would say. Um, depending on the teachers and their own kind of previous knowledge, um, I normally, <clears throat> the training that I've done has been anything in the region of three to four hours. One of the advantages is with technology, that training can also be done remotely. Mm. Um, it's not something that has to be done face to face. Would add an extra, One, extra complication for you, I assume. It, it is a little bit, but I, I kind of, uh, I've done it both ways. Mm. Um, obviously, face-to-face -face is easier for me. It's more comfortable. Um, I'm in control. Um, doing it 
online, there are basically two options. If people want to discover and find out how things work and to, to watch rather than be doing, mm. um, then that's certainly doable because I have the headset and I could demonstrate and they could sort of see as I'm talking through. Mm -hmm. But in an ideal world, the teachers would have a headset and I could talk them through using it so they get first-hand knowledge and experience. We know that's better, mm. but sometimes people might sort of say, hey, you know, I don't know that my school doesn't know that they want to invest 500 euros mm. until we've had a little bit of a feel or an idea what it's like. So let me be a student first. You can kind of tell me what to do. And then maybe from there, again, depending on their own experience, I might say, okay, I've got enough I can go away and buy the stuff and then replicate what you've done. Or maybe we need to come back to you for, you know, a, an hour or two hours just to kind of practice it with some support or guidance. Wow. Um, I mean, if a teacher was starting out and was thinking about introducing VR to their classroom with their students, what advice would you give them? I would say, I mean... There's two options, either go knocking on the director or the director of studies' door and saying, this is a great piece of technology. Is the school ready, willing to invest um, in getting, I mean, because you could have one headset for five or six classrooms because they're not all going to be using it at the same time. So yeah. it's not a case of having to, um, to fork out a lot of money in the beginning. Um, so I think because if you can get the school on board, even better. But um, what, as what is the take up of VR in the classroom? Um, it depends. It tends to be. I've been a little bit disappointed with some schools that have gone and bought the headsets. Uh, they're not schools that I've done training with, and some of them have then sort of said that the, the headset sits in the cupboard now i'm not trying to blow my own trumpet but <laughs> the um no. uh, the schools that i've trained um and there's one particular school i did the training online in poland um and they're constantly posting lessons that they've done using vr with their students and so clearly um and there the owner was the one that approached me and said I'm interested, I'm going to buy two headsets. Can you train up my teachers? And so I think that's important to have the buy-in from the top. Mm. Um, but if there is a teacher out there that says, hey, I really like this, mm. and you feel that you it would be a good investment for your students, for yourself, 500 euros, yes, is a lot of money, but it's not an insurmountable amount. You could buy it yourself and you could give amazing lessons to your class um, and then maybe the school might come around and say hey you're doing so well let me buy that headset off you or let's buy a second headset but don't be put off by sort of saying i have to do it through the school maybe you know people have tablets and and computers that they use with their students a similar kind of idea yeah um, but obviously the if the school invests then it's obviously yeah they would hopefully invest in some training as well because that for me is important you do a um, lot of international teacher training, don't you? I do, yeah. Tell me a bit, tell, or tell our listeners a bit about that. Cause... Well, because I, I started out when I was um, based in Malta, um, I was just a uh, director of studies at a school in Malta, 
Um, and then when I left and came to Milan, I was director, director of studies of International House in Milan. And then uh, the person that owned the school in Malta, um, whether he sold it because I left, I'm still not too sure, but he's, he's a very good friend of mine. Okay. And we'd, we'd built up the school together. And then unfortunately, for reasons of love and personal reasons, I left the school and he was kind of a little bit upset and sold the school quite soon afterwards. But we are still good friends and we've set up this teacher training company together, mm -hmm. uh, Mediterranean training. And as a result, we've uh, been very fortunate to be um, recognized by the ELT Council in mm -hmm. Malta, government organization. And so they ask us to do teacher training. Uh, we also offer teacher training with funding from the European Union in Malta and also to teachers who are willing to pay. Yeah. And then also I've done that sort of similar training in, in Italy. So we have a strong base in Malta because of the fact that I was there and I'm kind of quite well known in Malta and also Costantino is still there. So that's been quite useful from that point of view too. Well, I mean, if you had to choose, would you move back to Malta or would you stay in Italy? Um, I've given it some serious thought, I must be honest, mm -hmm. because um, life is very different. Um, I had a very good life um, in Malta. I was a rugby coach, but I've managed to find rugby coaching again in Italy, so I've kind of started to balance things out. Um, and on balance, I think that I would probably be, would have to be a no. I think possibly if I had to move, it would be another country for a new experience rather than going back to, rather go forward than go backwards. Okay, yeah. I mean, I just thought maybe it would be a climate. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, uh, from a climate point of view would be a no brainer. Um, but uh, uh, I have convinced uh, five friends um, to join me for ten days in Malta to go cycling. So we're gonna we're going back in May. You do you do visit you visit it regularly. Yeah, I, yeah. I still have a daughter there, so I have a reason mm -hmm. to go back. Wonderful. Um, you've also just trained as a coach. Yeah. Tell us, tell our listeners a bit about that. Okay, so I. Again, it's one of those things that's always been in the back of my mind. I'd always had this inkling or a desire possibly to be a life coach. Mm. Um, and I thought of going into life coaching at one point when I was in Malta, and then nothing came of it, and I continued in teaching. And then I, again, just by chance, stumbled across uh, the neuro-language coaching, um, mm. which was set up by, by Rachel Maria Paling. Um, and I did the first course and then you kind of like, right, okay, I'll scrape the money together. I'll do the second course. And I did all three courses. Um, and then uh, I did the teacher training course. So I can now deliver um, those neuro language uh, coaching courses. And I also registered as a, uh, as a coach with the International Coaching Federation in America. Mm -hmm. um, and what appealed to me was, I think it was, the fact that I saw myself more as a coach than a teacher in the sense that well, given your background. Yes. Please. Yeah. A bit like I was sort of saying before that my students are also a resource. So I don't like to kind of direct and be a traditional teacher style. I like to kind of involve and the, the, the neuro linguistic side was something that I hadn't really looked into, but it's it's using the brain and making things brain friendly um, and helping students 
um, to learn using the, the neurological side of things. So where from that from that point of view is very, very interesting. Wow. Who are the people that inspire and influence you, Richard? Um I I I suppose that in in EFL the, the first person that um and and I'm I, I I hate name dropping, but I, I, I'm quite honoured to be able to call him a friend. Is is John Hughes? I mean, he was my uh, teacher trainer when I did the the the, the um, FTBE, which doesn't exist anymore, but the first certificate in teaching business English when I was mm -hmm. in Malta. Um, and then we stayed in touch, and then I asked him for advice about doing the Delta. Um, and he encouraged me to go ahead and do the Delta. Then I had the opportunity. It's his fault, to... is it? Yeah, it's his fault. It's all John's fault. He was the one that told me, go for it, you know, you should do it. Um, and then we, uh, I co-taught a FTBE course with him, which was a great honor. Um, but I think that there's a, there's a lot of people um, in, in EFL and a lot of students that I've kind of, um helped and taught and just seeing them achieving their goals and reaching their goals for me is just is probably as inspirational um as uh, as some of the, the the big names i mean i i sort of uh, a lovely, I pale... lovely response yeah no i mean I, I totally agree with you john hughes is fantastic he's doing amazing stuff um he's just um sort of launched another a course on materials writing materials writing yeah and that yeah. Um, you know, that's a really great thing. Yeah, my, my only bugbear with John is, and if he's <laughs> listening, um, he was writing a book um, for the American market mm. whilst we were doing the uh, FTBE. Mm -hmm. And he used to sit on my balcony and he was writing. And I was hoping at least he would have put a mention that, you know, <laughs> thanks to the beautiful <laughs> views sitting on my balcony. But obviously that <laughs> never came up. But uh, I know that he was there writing that book in my balcony in Malta when he was. I think it's there. You just haven't read it. I just haven't seen it. It's it's hidden in the book somewhere. But uh, <laughs> so it's. And so you've done a lot. Um, what's what does the future hold? What's a, what would be your sort of personal life goal, or um, you know, what's the future going to be? Yeah, oh, that's a, you know, if I had a crystal ball. Um, I'm I'm not sure I was possibly fortunate, unfortunate to um have to make a change just before COVID came. So I've I've spent the last three years trying to set up my set myself up as a as a freelancer and I'm still making inroads in that. So I'm hoping that that will um solidify. Um I sincerely hope to continue helping students, helping teachers and, and, and building with that. Um, and long may that continue. I mean, I'm 56, but I've not got retirement thoughts, ideas. You know, some people are talking, you know, I've got friends that are starting to retire and people are asking and people are talking about retirement. I'm thinking, well, that, that for me is, I don't know, if it will ever happen. My dad, um, so, my dad's only just retired. He's yes. 70, 
I'm trying to think how old am I no he's about 78 my yeah. dad and, and that that for me that's my goal I don't see I don't want to put my yeah I don't want to put my feet up and get into gardening and do whatever I just like to continue as long as I can as long as I'm appreciated or as long as I feel that I can have something to offer mm -hmm. I would like to continue where coaching teaching training tell our listeners a fun fact about you something that they wouldn't couldn't possibly know a fun fact an unusual fact that probably yeah, mm -hmm. people that know me might be quite surprised but uh, um I was the what was it the assistant coach and the team manager for the Maltese women's sevens rugby team. Brilliant. And uh, I brilliant. <laughs> I took them to uh, the European Championships in Ghent, um, where we had to play a big difference between Malta, where we struggled to get enough players together for sevens. We couldn't ever get a 15 together. Uh, men was, was obviously easier, but the woman was more different. And we came up against Scotland and Ireland, and they were in the competition because they'd been forced to qualify for the, uh, for, it was a World Cup qualifying mm -hmm. competition, and they needed to be there to qualify. So obviously it was like the the big teams against the minnows um and but we beat israel so we didn't come last wonderful <laughs> um, so uh, that was my and now if uh, you something. were yeah if you were a virtual character mm. what would you be virtual character um it's probably going to sound really really cheesy but it would probably have to be Superman, and there's a couple of reasons for that, because one of my teachers when I was in Malta was uh, a budding artist, and she drew a pencil drawing of me as Superman. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I was at IH Milan, um, we did a poster campaign, and you luckily can't see my face. Um, they decided that I should be ripping my shirt open with the IH logo, pretending to be Superman. And that was on big billboards in Milan. So uh, I suppose I'd have to go ahead and be Superman, even though I, I would look ridiculous with my underpants on the outside. But anyway, <laughs> not a good thing to think about, but uh, particularly if you guys are having lunch or whatever, I do apologize. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Um, do you have a favorite quote? Yeah, I think that I, I'd written one down, but I'm not too sure whether it's, it's a slight swear word, so I thought I'd probably best avoid it. Um, but I, I like the quote from Forrest Gump um, that, you know, life's like a box of chocolates mm. um, and you never know what you're going to get. And I think that's what my life has been like um, and long may that continue. I've enjoyed that kind of assortment and variety. Exactly. Yes, I think certainly um, living in Mediterranean Europe, 
every day is a bit of an adventure, isn't it? Exactly. Yes. Yes. I mean, and living in Italy adds to the mix as well. <laughs> <laughs> Mediterranean, Mediterranean uh, Europe is one thing. Italy is then a, another, a, yeah. another, another side to the whole experience. I just kind of say every day is an adventure. Um, exactly. Yes. Not, you just never know what is going to happen, really. Um, yeah. Do you have a favourite film? Um, yeah, strangely enough, um, and this might come as a bit of a, a bit of a shock. I've I've watched many films, but there's two that kind of struck a chord with me, and and one was uh, Searching for Sugar Man. And if you anybody that has seen it, um, will will see the significance that that was the time in which that I was growing up in South Africa. Um, and until I saw that movie, I thought that Rodriguez was Bob Dylan. That's mm-hmm. what a lot of people in South Africa thought until it came out. We realized he was actually um, a completely different character. So I used to listen to his songs and it was sort of really uh, brought things home to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one was watching a film called Dog Man, which is an Italian mm-hmm. And I just was absolutely blown away by it. Um, you know, so emotional. And I managed to understand it in Italian, uh, although my Italian is very bad, but I watched it twice. And that's quite unusual for that kind of film, but I really enjoyed that. Um, right. Obviously, there's other great films, but yeah. those were just two that left a very, left their mark on me, should I say. Well, that will really help our listeners. Good. Um, thank you, Richard. Um, it has been an absolute pleasure to chat to you and completely opened my eyes up to VR and and the possibilities. Um, um, I, I, I'm sure that as we move forward, um, we will be incorporating more and more technology. Hopefully, yeah. yeah. In our classroom, obviously not replacing ourselves as teachers, no. but no. <laughs> um, being able to guide and... Uh, um, it's thanks for, for for coming on the show. That's it's really opened my eyes up also to the linguistic possibilities that can evolve from from this uh, that kind of situation. I just think it's um, it's incredible, and I do wish you luck, and I do hope there's more take up, and that they that teachers that are are um, doing that actually get some decent training so that they can fully exploit it. Um, it's Thanks fun. very much to you for the opportunity. It's been it's been a pleasure to Thank spend you. some time and to chat Lovely. to you. So uh, <laughs> to you. Yeah, we don't do it enough. It's sort of yeah. I think now that we're going to start moving around Italy a bit more, you never know. Um our paths shall cross. <laughs> I'm fantastic. Sure. Fantastic. <laughs> and I hope that it was it is interesting to those of you that are signed in to listen or going to listen later on. I hope that there's been, you know interesting or entertaining at least if not interesting exactly no I, my kids have got a, a headset um i might just go and dig it out <laughs> dig it out and have a look and try it out and play around on it and yeah. see what i can yeah. do thank yeah. you richard very very inspiring and and lovely to lovely to talk to you great stuff thanks jane take care you too You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.